Good morning from Australia. <laughs> I'm very pleased to join two great friends of freedom and of Australia, Prime Minister Johnson and President Biden. That's Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison giving what was supposed to be the announcement of a new security pact. What it turned into was the start of a foreign relations crisis between allies. A diplomatic row has broken out over a new defence and security partnership. Not only was France not consulted, it only learned of the deal hours before it was announced to the world. France recalled its ambassador to the United States in protest over President Biden's decision to provide nuclear power submarines to Australia. The start of one partnership meant the end of another. Australia also cancelled a massive military contract with France. So how did an abandoned deal for a dozen submarines turn into the diplomatic version of a lover's quarrel? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Al Jazeera's Paris correspondent Natasha Butler has been pretty busy this week, following all the ebbs and flows of this debacle. I caught up with her on Wednesday to hear what the reaction's been like in France. What's happened with these multiple submarine deals? Because Australia had this contract for tens of billions of dollars from 2016 that said a French company would provide diesel-powered submarines. And then on September 15th, something changed. Tell us about what happened. Well, what happened is a diplomatic bombshell. Australia scrapped its submarine contract with France after signing a new defence pact with the US and the UK, under which Canberra is going to receive US-made submarines. As British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said during the announcement of the new pact, known as AUKUS, the submarines are top of the agenda. The first task of this partnership will be to help Australia acquire a fleet of nuclear-powered submarines. That all of this seemed to have taken the French government completely by surprise. From their point of view, they say that they were given no warning that Australia intended to pull out of the 2016 submarine deal. And they also say that they knew absolutely nothing about this UK-US-Australia security pact, which seems to have been negotiated in secret. So it really was a diplomatic bombshell in every way. So as Natasha noted, that contract that Australia scrapped with France was signed back in 2016. This deal would have seen French-made ships stationed in the tropical waters of what's sometimes called the Indo-Pacific region. Here's Australia's defence minister at the time. The minister's visit to Australia demonstrates the long-term commitment of the French government at the highest levels to delivering Australia's future submarine fleet. So this deal had been in place for a while and had been mentioned in diplomatic meetings between France and Australia as recently as August. And then, all of a sudden, comes AUKUS. And so, friends, AUKUS is born. A new enhanced trilateral security partnership between Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States. AUKUS. Within 24 hours of the announcement, Natasha went to the Elysee Palace, hoping to hear something from Macron. 
The French President Emmanuel Macron was actually hosting the German Chancellor Angela Merkel at the Elysee. So we were scheduled to go anyway. And of course, we as reporters assumed that Emmanuel Macron would address this massive diplomatic crisis that had blown up on the day. But when we got to the Elysee, uh, Merkel and Macron gave statements. Macron did not mention it at all. And it was quite extraordinary. We all looked at each other. We were incredibly surprised. And the only conclusions that you could draw from that were either that, from his point of view, the gravity of the situation was such that he simply didn't want to uh, address it and maybe staying silent was his way of, of reacting, or that the Elise simply had really been taken off guard and, and had mm. not had time to scramble for a response. Wow. So they gave statements, but were they taking questions from the press? No, they didn't take any questions from the press, but it, it wasn't scheduled that they would do so. So that wasn't mm. a, a complete surprise. But if you follow Macron, he's this young, dynamic president. He is not scared of speaking his mind. He's not scared of reacting to things Natasha's covered these kinds of reactions in the past. Emmanuel Macron was in a conciliatory mood as he greeted NATO Secretary General at the Elysee only a few weeks after it described the military alliance as brain dead. That was back in 2019. It's really what he does, and he quite enjoys doing that. And, you know, he is not at all somebody who shies away from any form of controversy. So really, this was uh, very unusual that he chose not to speak out and to keep his silence for so many days. So as I was having this conversation with Natasha on Wednesday, we were keeping an eye on the news about a long-awaited call between the French and U.S. presidents about AUKUS. Because as of that point... Macron had yet to publicly address the crisis with his counterparts in the U.S., the U.K., or Australia. His government, however, had a pretty singular response, both in actions and words. And it included an unprecedented measure. France recalled their ambassadors in both Canberra and Washington. Here's France's ambassador to Australia, giving comment on his way out of the country. I think uh, this has been a huge mistake, a very, very bad handling of a partnership because it was not a contract. It was a partnership. A trust partnership that's supposed to be based on trust, mutual understanding, and also a partnership based, you know, on sincerity. And France cancelled a meeting with the UK's defense minister, as well as a gala meant to be held in its Washington embassy to celebrate the Battle of the Chesapeake. A battle in which the French Navy defeated the British fleet uh, to help U.S. colonies eventually secure their independence in America's Revolutionary War. I think it could really be summed up by the reaction of the French foreign minister, Jean-Yves Le Drian. He was completely uh, livid and he really summed up the mood in Paris. This really is a stab in the back. We built a relationship of trust with Australia, and this trust was betrayed. And I'm really angry and bitter about this breach of contract. It's important to know that his anger, it wasn't only directed at Canberra for scrapping this submarine deal, but also at the United States, because the US is this trusted ally and from France's point of view had basically gone behind Paris's back to sign this defence pact with Australia and the UK without consulting France, without consulting allies. And at one point, the French foreign minister in a radio interview said that Joe Biden had acted like uh, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And certainly from the point of view of that foreign minister, that was not intended as a compliment. Which the White House press secretary shrugged off. 
What, what does the president make of being compared to former President Trump by an ally such as France? I would say the president doesn't think about it much. So let's talk more about France's reaction, recalling ambassadors, canceling Agdala, talking about this deal being a stab in the back. What do you think is driving the French response? Well, I think it's a, a few things, really. First of all, they have lost this incredibly important submarine contract. You know, here in France, this contract was known as the deal of the century, worth tens of billions of dollars. It was going to create lots of jobs. It was seen as a real scoop for the French government. So not only to lose that contract, but in such a publicly humiliating way, if you want to put it like that, that is not a great thing for the French government. And it's also very worrying because if they cannot trust their allies, in this case, Australia, or in the United States, then who can they trust? Now, it has come out in the last few days that there were little signs that Australia wasn't always happy about the deal. Maybe, you know, the Australians needed different types of submarines. Like the nuclear ones the US and UK are offering up, which can stay underwater longer than the diesel ones contracted out to France. Nevertheless, the French say, no matter what, we may have seen some concerns from the Australian side, but no one ever told us that they were going to pull out this contract. And what's more, no one told us that the Australians, the Americans and the the British were going to be teaming up and secretly signing this huge defence pact for the Indo-Pacific region. France feels totally sidelined and blindsided. For France, clearly, this isn't just about a single submarine deal. It's also about the country's presence in this region, the Indo-Pacific. So why is France bothered about what's happening in this region at all? Well, I think it's really interesting to know that France has a major stake in this region. It has overseas territories there, including, for example, New Caledonia. You've got a More than a million, about 1.5 million French people live in the region. There are thousands of troops stationed in the region and lots of key maritime trade routes that lead to Europe. So it is a really important region strategically for France. And because of those territories, France sees itself as part of the region, going so far as to call itself a fully-fledged Indo-Pacific country. It's also important to know that the whole idea of having a strategy for the Indo-Pacific, this is something that Emmanuel Macron has been talking about for many years. So I think he feels really personally slighted in some way that an idea that he sees in part as his, the idea of bolstering the Indo-Pacific to counter rising Chinese uh, influence in the region, has been taken by those he thought were his allies and they've run off with it, leaving France behind. Macron unveiled his grand strategy for the Indo-Pacific during a visit to Australia back in 2018. And a big pillar of that strategy was multilateralism and working with countries like Australia and India. The French president, for example, was very keen to team up with Australia, if you like, build these submarines for Australia to give Australia and ally more autonomy in the region. Because Macron believes it is a key region, it is a region of the future, it is a region where you've got these uh, countries like China, uh, like India, and it is a region that countries like France, like Europe, Western allies should be looking at much, much more than they have been. The view from Australia suggests this episode isn't all about a submarine contract either. 
I think that the submarines themselves are not necessarily the most important element of all this. That's David Brophy. He's a senior lecturer in modern Chinese history at the University of Sydney. If they ever do get built, it will not be for another 20 years um, down the line. That's right. Not for another 20 years. Australia says they expect their first nuclear-powered submarines will be built by 2040. There's a lot of strategizing going on at the moment that is um, not working with a timeline of 20 years, but a much shorter time frame. I think the thing for Australia is that the relationship with the United States is the priority here. Australia, I think, is engaged in a, a policy to try to demonstrate its relevance to the United States, to try to stiffen America's resolve to maintain its primacy in the East Asia region. It's nice to have other countries involved in that sort of strategy, like France, for example, so that Australia can claim that this is a multi-sided effort, but ultimately they're not essential. And so I think Australia's actually calculated that it can afford to alienate France if this shift advances this objective of leading America to see Australia as an important collaborator in this mission to take on China. Many see the new alliance in the Asia-Pacific as another attempt to contain China's influence in the region. Beijing has accused the three powers of having a Cold War mentality. The UK and the US have long maintained a significant naval and air presence in the Indo-Pacific region in competition with China. The bulk of the American Navy is now focused in, in Asia. Obviously, China, because of its very rapid GDP growth, its, its own military modernization is extremely rapid at the moment, simply counting in terms of numbers of boats. China now has a bigger navy than the US does, although its military spending as a percentage of GDP is, is, is lower than the US and roughly on par with that of Australia. And given all this background, while the AUKUS deal might come as a surprise to some, it wasn't out of left field for David. To me, the AUKUS decision is a continuation of a policy shift that's been quite obvious since 2017. We've become quite used to the theatrics of flag-draped announcements and, and rhetoric which is increasingly explicit in its targeting of China as the enemy. But it did still feel like we crossed a certain threshold with that announcement that would make it, I think, very difficult to see Australia pulling out of this posture anytime soon. And that, to me, is quite a depressing thought, I have to be honest with you. I think that this is completely unnecessarily putting Australia at risk of getting embroiled in military conflict. David's not the only one concerned about this military buildup. The governments of Malaysia and Indonesia both said the AUKUS announcement left them worried about a potential arms race. And the UN Secretary General warned last week of what he called a completely dysfunctional relationship between the US and China. We must do everything to avoid a new Cold War. So what does Australia have to gain from this alliance? Australia sees itself as the hegemon in the, the South Pacific in particular, and in order to play that role, it feels it's necessary to have a more powerful partner like the United States that is on hand to assist if things ever get messy. An Asia without the United States is an Asia that looks quite different. And I think that Australian elites are looking down 10, 20 years from now, and it's not just China, that there are many countries in Asia that will economically dwarf Australia in the coming decades. And France is looking to some of those countries, too, after this whole AUKUS debacle. I asked Natasha about it. 
So France basically is looking to bolster its alliances. It is looking for friends after a very uh, bad experience. And that's why Macron had a call with Narendra Modi, the leader of India, of course, India key player in the Indo-Pacific. The two leaders reaffirmed their common will to act jointly in an open and inclusive Indo-Pacific area. It makes sense that France would talk to India, and it is also widely reported that India could be interested in buying French submarines. Well, you know, France obviously has some submarines potentially for sale, so I imagine that's why uh, it would be very happy if New Delhi was to step in and perhaps uh, take those. And after Macron's call with the Indian Prime Minister, it was, it was interesting because Macron said that France was, you know, committed to a relationship with New Delhi and committed to a relationship built on, and I quote him, trust and mutual respect. And look, that's obviously a very clear dig at uh, Washington and Canberra. So France's reaction to this deal isn't taking place in a vacuum. Macron has long talked about the need for what he calls European sovereignty. So how does the collapse of this deal with Australia play into that? I think it basically fuels what Emmanuel Macron has been saying uh, since he became president, and that is that Europe, the EU, needs to stand on its own two feet, if you want to put it that way, in the sense that the United States perhaps can no longer be relied on to be an ally on the international stage. That was certainly the sentiment with many EU leaders during the Donald Trump years. Of course, Macron was hoping that the Joe Biden years would be very different, would be a return to a more predictable, trustworthy transatlantic relationship. But evidently, that is perhaps not the case. And I think that's why Macron will push even more for the EU to be more sovereign in terms of things like a defense and strategic interests. And it doesn't help that it's the UK in particular that's joining in this trio. Britain left the European Union. It was a very difficult uh, breakup, if you want to put it in relationship terms. And France is now seeing Britain doing much better than France probably hoped it would do outside of the European Union. (laughs) So what do you think that this episode as a whole and France's reaction to the loss of this deal with Australia say about how France sees its place in the world? I think France sees itself as having a very important place when it comes to international diplomacy. It is a military power. However, there is no doubt that I think that this... uh, Hang on. One second. I'm going to stop for a second because I have a feeling my producer is trying to reach me. Oh, it's getting in touch? Okay. And I'm worried that it might be because the call has just... Yeah, it has just... So that call Natasha is talking about is the long-awaited call between Biden and Macron. This call, the first time President Biden and French President Macron have spoken since this dispute. Natasha told us about it afterwards. Well, Macron has finally spoken to Biden in a phone call that we understand was initiated by Washington. And it certainly seems as if Biden has said many of the things that the French president wanted said on the public record. Uh, For example, you have Biden admitting that the situation would have benefited from more open consultations with allies. The US reaffirming the importance of French and European engagement in the Indo-Pacific region. And in addition to announcing that the French ambassador would be called back to D.C., the joint statement also mentioned that the U.S. understands the need for more European defense that's, quote, complementary to NATO. 
It is clear, I think, that these two leaders know that they need to repair this relationship that has been damaged, and it is in their common interests also to rebuild trust. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai, with Dina Kispe, Ruby Zaman, Priyanka Tilbe, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Finton is The Take story editor. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El-Milek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back 